Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the epic tales of Bat Boy. You bring the the weekly world news to <laughs> yeah. the game, and you just went and fact checked your last article, and then you brought this. <laughs> What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the '90s or the '80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the 80s and 90s battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and for this episode, we bring you the best, well, not the best, but bodacious nonetheless. This week, I will be dueling with all the B-action of 1992. And my opponent... What's up? It's Man Crush, and I have the B-action of 1984. Let me just explain what this is. So here we go. Everyone knows B-movies, and we do the best of a month, best of a week, worst of a week, but we never have anything where we're kind of in the middle, sandwiched between the two. So all those picks get lost in translation, and there's a lot of things there that we can go over that we never get a chance to talk about. So Mark and I were talking about it, and we're like, you know what? Let's just do it like B-movies, but we just do B and a genre. So we're going to start out with B-action, and then who knows? From here, we do B comedy, B wrestling, which I know David will love. No, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a nice way of kind of finding the things that we don't get to normally talk about. So I'm excited for this one. Right, not the best. It's not the worst. Yeah, it's different. I I once had a gunny that had sat me and all the other corporals down one day. <laughs> he said, "You guys aren't the best, and you're not the worst." You're different. And that's what this is. I don't know if I should have taken that as a slight or not. I don't think so, because we were shit hot. But let's go. Let's do this. And as always here on our show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So he's back, everyone. A fan favorite judge and the man who in his high school yearbook was voted most. It's Judge David Schultz. Hey there, everybody. <laughs> Glad to be back. This is the best BBQ I ever BB too. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judge's coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Lock and load, it's time to play! Decades. All right, let's throw it right down to Judge David Schultz for the official toss-off. All right, for the coin flip this time around, with spring training in full swing... I have brought a VHS copy of Major League. 
Yes. yes. You watched it the other night. Did you? Comedy classic, pure gold. Oh, I love it. One of my all-time favorites. Great movie. Great movie. But you know what? Maybe either you or your listeners can kind of help me out with this. I'm noticing on the, the cover art for the first time the reflection in the baseball's glasses, and I can't make out exactly what it is. You guys have any idea? I don't think I ever uh... noticed that there was a reflection in the glasses. Me neither. Not until I actually brought it to the uh, proceedings today. So now I'm very intrigued to, to find out exactly what it is. So I guess uh, kudos points to anybody who can actually identify what the reflection is reflecting. I don't know what the heck it is. It's just really weird. Yeah, I'm not sure, Dave. I'm looking at the... Re- it's definitely a reflection of something. Uh-huh. And I, you would think it would be a baseball, but it looks like a couple of guys going down a water slide. I was You're just, right. Yeah, I was going to say a luge. You're right. It's luge. It looks- <laughs> it's a luge team. It's the Jamaican bobsled. <laughs> yeah, it's a crossover with cool runnings. That's what it is. We we had no idea. Man. Okay. But uh, anyway, again, if anybody can truly identify that, I would appreciate it. But, guys, you have to choose from either the front cover, which has a studly Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen, and Corbin Burnson on it, or the back, which has a shirtless Wesley Snipes. Pick you your always poison. pick the ones with the shirtless dudes on it. What can I say? I'm, I got taste. Mark, you, you pick. Uh, I'll take the shirtless Wesley Snipes. Oh, nice. All right. The cover is about to go up in the air like a fly ball. Way back. Way back. And it is the front cover. You lose. All right. Man Crush, you got control of the board. What's our first category? This is tough. It's almost as if we're doing a worst of episode. (laughs) It's kind of hard to select here because I feel like they're all pretty much even. Uh. Let's go ahead. Let's start this off with news. All right. Off we go to the news round. All right. Here we go. Uh, Again, B action. So we're going August 5th, 1984. Here's an article out of the Gannett News Service. So this was kind of like the AP. It's all over the fucking place. The title of the article is Networks Lure Male Fans with Action Movies. The made-for-TV movie is putting on some muscle. Next season, network executives will be relying more heavily on original productions they hope will hit it big with the male viewers. That's more action, more jeopardy, more high adventure, says CBS programming chief Harvey Shepard, describing the ingredients he'll be looking for in the many of his TV movies. That means less of what he describes as, quote-unquote, soft stories and relationships. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, bigger components of action movies. Let me just uh, skip most of this article. And it says, all three networks will be using made-for-TV movies and miniseries to attract male viewers among the projects. They have Nairobi coming out, which is <laughs> Wild Animals and Charlton Heston in a film about Africa poaching. Doesn't sound very uh, action-esque. Uh, we got The Gambler Part 3, which is a four-hour movie sequel. Tom Selleck, Kenny Rogers, and some other people never heard of. Wet Gold, that just sounds dirty, <laughs> with Brooke Shields. <laughs> and it says Brooke Shields wears a bathing suit. That's all That's I need. the whole movie right there. Uh, Wet Gold, uh, Las Vegas Hotel Wars with Rock Hudson. Wasn't that a Soul Asylum song, Wet Gold? Uh, it's Black Gold. Black oh, okay. Gold in a... <laughs> yeah. Oh, Dave is going to sing this <laughs> oh, episode. Not that. Not that. Listen, I will sing later if you want, but I'm definitely not going to waste it. 
on some black gold. Uh, and then the last two that they have coming out is Toughest Man in the World, TV movie starring Mr. T. Nice. Of course, right at the height, 1984. Rounding it out with Fatal Vision, Carl Madden, and hard-hitting psychological drama based on an actual murder case. All right, so that's the first news story about this B action. But here's the second one. This one, like normally, I don't really like to bring the sadness, but the title just intrigued me so much. And you know how I'm a big fan of like Canon's ninja movies? Yeah. That I had to bring this one out. All right. So it's October 28th, 1984. The title is Police Say Killer Motivated by Ninja Movie. Okay. All right. Starting good. A man who had been evicted from his home decided to do what he saw in the movie Revenge of the Ninja, which is one of my favorites, and that's dress up as an ancient oriental warrior and stalk the woman he felt had wronged him, killing her, a friend, and himself, police said this Saturday. When officials found the body of Gregory 24, Friday night, he was armed with an Uzi submachine gun, Two crossbows, a forty-five caliber automatic pistol, three oriental I love how they use Oriental still in nineteen eighty four. Three Oriental battle stars, and he was also dressed in full ninja regalia, complete with a black mask, and his face was also painted black. Uh and it just goes on and on, kind of talking about the scene a little bit. Don't really want to get into that, but the let me just read the last two. Wait, was that uh, the ninja list. scene or the death scene? Uh, you don't, yeah, okay. they're talking about like you know him uh, stalking this lady oh, okay. out and all this stuff. It's it kind of goes on for a while. I didn't know if there was like a ninja club or something. Everybody hung out. No, with but traded ninja secrets. It says uh, the police corporal Gary Smith said investigators are still trying to find out how he obtained the weapons. Because seriously, where do you get a fucking Uzi from? And the ninja costume and battle stars are obtainable through mail order catalogs, he said. Now, I just bring that up and I skip the rest of the story because remember how easy it was to buy this shit back then? Yeah. You would just go out to like ShopRite or wherever, go down the magazine aisle, buy like a copy of Black Belt, flip about six pages in and there was about 35 pages in a row where you could buy like the ninja claws Ninja stars, swords, fucking ninja boots, everything. My local hometown hardware store actually sold ninja stars. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and they were right next to the BB gun stuff. Damn. I, it was never that easily accessible, but I remember this kid when I was in first grade. His name was Kyle Nash. His parents ordered him ninja stars, and he brought them to school. Oh. Yeah, and what does this guy do? We go out to recess. He brings them out in his pocket, and they, like, tore a hole in his pants. So he takes one of them out and tries to throw it. There's, like, trees around where our, uh, like, recess area was. And he tried to throw it at a tree. Totally gone. Like, fucking. You remember? They would never throw like they did in the movies. They always had that curve to it. Yep. Like, kind of like the way I hit a golf ball. And it just fucking was gone. And then he tried to do it with the other two. Lost all three of them. Probably had him for like half hour. Then somebody told on him when we got back inside. <laughs> like, good luck. I, I didn't have him. Yeah. Good luck finding him. <laughs> Dicks. Yeah, that's uh, those are my two stories. So we had the uh, the networks trying to bring some action to the uh, the network. 
in some action movies made by themselves, and the killer that was motivated by Revenge of the Ninja, the canon classic. Nice. Pretty solid man crush. Don't know how I'm going to compete with that. I took a slightly different approach to news. What I wanted to do with my news is I found actual news stories that I think could have been in some B-action movies. So, for my first one, let's take a look at the Darwin Awards. Those are always pretty good. Something action-movie-worthy happened in that. So, I looked in 1992 Darwin Awards. Ken Charles 47 years old, accidentally shot himself to death in December in Newton, North Carolina, when awakening from the sound of a telephone ringing beside his bed. He reached for the phone, but he grabbed instead a Smith & Wesson 38 Special, which discharged when he drew it to his ear. Ooh. Ouch. I do not feel bad about bringing the sadness now with you bringing it <laughs> out. Now, see, at first I'm like, oh, this is nuts. There's no way that this is true. So I go over to my good friends at newspapers.com, and I research, you know, by the name, the date, everything. No articles anywhere to be found written about this. You would think that's such a strange news story. But then I found the Charlotte Observer, dated December 21st, 1992, in the obituaries section. Uh, Mr. Kenneth Ken Charles, 47 years old, from Hickory Springs, he was a plant manager, died December 19th, 1992, at Chattawaba Memorial Hospital from injuries sustained in an accident. So, yeah, I actually found the gentleman's obituary in the newspapers. So that is a true story. We fact-checked the Darwin Awards. Yeah, you cannot answer your Smith & Wesson. Wait, where, where did he die? He died in Chumbawamba? Yes. He got knocked down? He didn't get back up again? <laughs> so that's my first news story. A guy answers the Smith & Wesson. You know, you'd definitely see something like that in a cheesy B action film. So yeah, I had to bring a little bit of the sadness, at least. So for my second news story, man, this character, I am surprised that we have never got an action film based on this character, who debuted in the Weekly World News in 1992. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the epic tales of Bat Boy. You bring the the Weekly World News to the game, and you just went and fact-checked your last article, and then you brought this. So for my second one, I give you the Bat Boy from the Weekly World News that I used to follow the exploits of Bat Boy all the time. You know, he was found in a cave. In West Virginia, <laughs> by some scientists, Dick Culpa and writer Bob Lind created Bat Boy for the Weekly World News. He debuted of a, as a cover story on June 23rd, 1992, uh, with a mocked-up photo that was kind of like a... I'm sure you got everybody <laughs> has seen Bat Boy before. It's a baby and a bat with, like, Vulcan ears and teeth, and he's kind of got a screaming face. This became the tabloid's de facto mascot and kind of became the mascot for all of fake tabloid media. Now, if you follow the exploits of Bat Boy, he was captured, and then he escaped, stole a car, <laughs> got away. There was a high-speed chase to track him down. Every time someone wanted to meet or see Bat Boy, oddly enough, he seemed to escape, and they had to have a, a hunt to find Bat Boy again. So how this never made it to a B movie, I don't know. 
But it did make it to a B musical. An off-Broadway musical called Bat Boy the Musical was produced. So I still hold hopes of getting a Bat Boy action movie. I'm kind of picturing a mix between Mac and me and The Fugitive. <laughs> so that's what I got from my news. Oh, my God. Answering a Smith & Wesson oh. 38 special in the middle of the night and uh, the debut of Bat Boy in the Weekly World News. Oh, Good gosh. Lord. Good thing you fact-checked. <laughs> you said scientists were in West Virginia. That completely ruined the entire story. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, <laughs> Dr. Ron Dillon, uh, he discovered him in West Virginia in Hellhole Cave. These are the supposed origins of, of Hellboy. <laughs> or Bad, Bad Boy. Boy. <laughs> These are the supposed origins of Bad Boy. So, yeah, that's what I had for my news stories. Off to Dave Schultz for the ruling for the news round. Okay. Uh, I still have tears in my eyes from your explanation <laughs> of Bat Boy. Like, he's doing car chases. He's escaping. He eludes everybody. That's wonderful. Not too bad for a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> now, guys, I'm looking at this category uh, a little bit differently because, as you said, it's not directly tied into B-movies per se, but you're both kind of looking at storylines that could potentially be their own. So let's see. 84, we had um, the interest in TV action movies trying to create, uh, trying to cause a death to the Hallmark Channel before it even begins. And I will say this. I think it could have had a true winner there if they had Kenny Rogers starring in Wet Gold. That's something. <laughs> With Brooke Shields? She's irrelevant at this point. You just have to have Kenny Rogers in the title, and I think they would have had a definite big-time hit on their hands there. Uh, Revenge of the Ninja. I would like to say, if you ever think life should imitate art, ignore that and choose Revenge of the Nerds instead. True that. You know, I well, think it's a I don't know. Safer. Not, not in 2020. Not in 2020. There's uh, a bit too much... Uh... Grape going on in that movie. Grape. Well, it's better than Brooke Shields and Kenny Rogers, and you got to know when to hold her in a bikini, you know? <laughs> and you better know when to fold her. Well, I think in '84 she's already she's over eighteen by '84. Fact check that. It doesn't really matter because Kenny Rogers was way over eighteen. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. '92, uh, we got the forty-seven-year-old uh, guy from Chumbawamba. Who shot himself with the uh, Smith and Wesson, which just proves that the Sports Illustrated football phone could potentially save lives. <laughs> so people, you know, he he should have subscribed. That's for darn sure. The the Bat Boy thing, man, I just can't get over the fucking face. Because the moment you said that, I just thought about that that baby face with the huge <laughs> yes. fangs and the wide mouth, and it it's gonna haunt my dreams now tonight. You know, um, but here here's how I am going to render my verdict on this is. While all would potentially be good plots for an action movie, Man Crush did actually come with some news that was relevant to the topic. Despite all the laughs I just had, and I nearly pissed my pants over Bat Boy, Man Crush, you're going to take this round. Woo! Yeah, and it's not, again, it's not just so, for everybody out there, and for Dave, for you as well, it's not B-action movies, it's just B-action. So that everything is action-related, it's just not the, the best action, and it's not the worst action. It's just kind of in the middle. All right, so did not think I was going to take that no, one. No, so Man Crush, you're up one to nothing. You have control of the board. What category are we going with next? 
oh man. Like I said, it's tough because there's nothing when I was doing this one. Normally, when I put together an episode, I feel like I'm going to win every round. I put together everything, and I'm like, I got this. It doesn't matter what it is. That's just my mentality. When I did this one, I didn't. I don't get that feeling from anyone. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got the same feelings. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of the fun of this round, though, because it's things that we would normally pass on in a normal round. Oh, absolutely. We wouldn't pick it for the for the worst of. We wouldn't pick it for the best of. So it always gets passed over because it's just eh. the Jan Brady. Yeah, it's categories. Just, eh. Yeah, it's just not that great, you know. All right, here we go. Well, let's go hot products. <laughs> Mark made a face. I like where this is going already. All right, so I don't have a specific date on this one. It was somewhere in 1984, but it doesn't really matter because we get the whole year anyway. This did come out in 1984. I found multiple ads for it. Just couldn't pinpoint one, and it didn't matter, so I wasn't going to find it. Uh, but this this first pick, this is strictly V-Action because it was a toy that came out for the He-Man line of toys, but it was put out by another company. So, of course, everybody knows He-Man and the Masters of the Universe line. We all love it, and it all came, and all that stuff came out by who? Mattel. Well... This was made by Playtime Toy Line. So that's what makes it a perfect B-action hot product. One of the most perfect ones I could find. This is a remote control five-function battle cruiser. It's clearly made for He-Man, but they weren't going to pay to get the licensing for it. So instead, they put like this generic-looking He-Man on the box riding this battle cruiser and just called it a day. Uh, the vehicle is remote control which is a small little caveat. We don't see much in the Masters of the Universe products. I couldn't find any, at least, up to this point in 1984, except for another one that was also a knockoff that I'm not even going to name because this one was cooler, but I don't remember seeing any other remote control stuff by Mattel for He-Man. And the best part was I found this Toys R Us ad for this thing that had the Avenger Cruiser on it. And Toys R Us, it doesn't matter. So they just went and took He-Man Plopped his ass right on the Avenger Cruiser, huh. even though this is made by Playtime. Uh, he, they have him sitting right behind the turret. Uh, thing's pretty sweet. It's got like a turret in the front. It's got like this, looks like a satellite of some sort behind him. And again, it's remote control. Uh, they were selling these bad boys for about twelve ninety nine. I actually found an ad where it was on sale for seven ninety seven. That's a fucking steal. But that's around thirty three dollars in twenty twenty for you to get. The Playtime Battle Avenger Cruiser you can use with your He-Man toys. Damn. Do you remember any remote control He-Man stuff? I I don't remember any. I don't remember any of them. I mean, the only thing I had was Battle Cat, really. And I I had a bunch of figures, but... I had Castle Grayskull, and that was it. Now, this thing was like an RC toy? It was like a wireless... Or did it have a wire no, for the no, controller? This, yeah, this is 1984. And I mean, for that price, it's not going to be wireless. So it had yeah. the cable back okay. to a little controller. So you can, I'm sure you could drive it like, you know, 16 inches and <laughs> He-Man will probably fucking fall off once he hits the carpet. Can you imagine them coming out with a remote controlled car with a wire now? How kids oh would God. react to that? They'd be like, what? <laughs> the fuck is this do i have to follow this fucking thing <laughs> seriously you could buy like a plane for under ten dollars now yeah 
Yeah. It's like, you know, like the credit card size yep. little uh, planes that you could fly like 30 feet. This thing had like a 12 inch cord on it. Yeah. Blows my mind. Who were they trying to fool back then? <laughs> Fucking so ghetto. All right. So here's my second one. We got October 1984. Again, I didn't get the exact date on this because it came out in October. That's all we need to know. Again, we got this time we got the ultimate B action video game for the Commodore 64. And it's perfect because 1984, it's sandwiched right in the middle of the death of Atari and those earlier consoles and the explosion of the NES. And in that little sandwich time period, we had computer games. And these games, I'm telling you, probably because I had a Commodore 64 and a 128. I loved the games on those, and that's why I didn't get an NES till later on, because I was still playing the Commodore games, and they were far better than anything that we played before. The graphics were better, the sound was much better, the gameplay was smooth. It took a while to load, but other than that, it wasn't bad. Uh, the company Epics released the game, <laughs> ready, Impossible Mission for thirty five dollars, oh, which is around eighty seven dollars in twenty twenty. Uh, it's pretty much a complete fucking ripoff of Mission Impossible. And they just figured, let's flip the fucking words and we're good to go. Uh, instead of Ethan Hunt, you have Special Agent 4125. That's how B-action this is. It's Impossible Mission. Uh, and you know what? I played this game growing up. I had it. I don't remember if we paid for it, if we had a copy, but... I remember, like, there's this ghostly voice in the very beginning, as soon as you start, that goes, stay a while, stay forever. Like, and every time you would die and restart, you'd have to listen to it all over again and hit up, like, the elevator shafts and shit like that. Uh, but it's rated one of the best action games in 1984. Uh, you have to search for, through 32 different rooms, and you got to pick up clues so you can figure out the master puzzle. Uh, each room is a different arrangement of platforms. They got like hydraulic lifts, there's furniture, uh, there's robots, and you have different abilities, which you didn't have in these Atari games before. Cause now you can run, you could jump, you could do like forward rolls and shit like that. So it's really, it's new and it's on the computer. And that game is impossible mission with special agent 4125, who happens to be the cousin of Ethan Hunt. That's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> Huh. It's that and the uh, the playtime. This is how fucking awesome it is. I can't even remember the name. It's the playtime. What was it called again? I forgot. Oh, the battle. Avenger the playtime Cruiser. Avenger Battle Cruiser Five Function. Well, can you name all five functions? Uh, yeah, it's like forward, back, stop. <laughs> <laughs> you could turn, uh, but only when you're reversing. That's pretty dope, man. It's a lot of shit, and it's got a cable. You could choke your brother or sister with. Nice. That's a function. What do you have? All right. So for my uh, hot products, you know, I went with B action. How about some B action figures? So for my 1992 offerings, my first one, I went with the best action figures that you're never going to play with because you can't play with them. I went with the 1992 USA Olympic basketball dream team box set by Kenner starting lineup. You guys remember the starting lineup series? Yeah, oh, yeah, they had the platforms on their feet. Yeah, I got a, I got the whole set series actually right behind me right here. Yeah, that was the cool thing about them. 
They looked fantastic, but you could not play with them. They, supposedly, they are posable, but I can tell you from experience, if you move them in any way, shape, or form, they topple right over because they are not balanced. The starting lineup USA 1992 Dream Team set included Magic Johnson, Karl Malone, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, John Stockton, David Robinson, Chris Mullen, Michael Jordan, and Larry Bird. It was a extremely hot and rare set as they did only make it for that one year for 1992. They subsequently came out with another Dream Team set for 1996 that included that year's team as well. So yeah, that's my first offering, the starting lineup USA 1992 Dream Team action figures, which had very little action and you really couldn't play with them at all. (laughs) (laughs) And they barely stood up on their own. Right. So, I mean, you can call them B action figures if you want, but, you know, I think they're pretty cool even though you can just look at them. <laughs> like, now it doesn't sound weird because everybody collects toys and you leave it in the box, you put it up on the shelves. Yep. When we were kids, you get it, you rip it out of the box, throw the box away, and then you want to play with it. Well, Michael Jordan's not going to have a great battle with He-Man. I can tell you that. He's just going to topple right over, and yeah, it's going to suck. So, speaking of toys that suck, let's go to my next offering. Now, you're going to talk about knockoff toys. This toy knocked off two extremely popular lines. You had G.I. Joes and Trolls. I give you the original Battle Trolls. There were a brand of action figures produced from Hasbro from 1992 to 93. Now, really what they were trying to do was popularize and cash in on the growing trend of troll dolls. All the girls had them. There's no troll dolls for boys, so let's decorate them, and let's make them action figures. They introduced them in 1992 with the price of $4.99 to roughly about $6.99, depending on where you purchased them, and they had the slogan, Big-Haired Dudes with Bad Attitudes. They were about 4 and 3 inches tall, not including the approximate 4 inches of hair on top of the trolls. Now, what was cool about these is they spoofed a bunch of other pop culture characters. You had Sergeant Troll, who was a John Rambo spoof. Uh, you had Trolloff, who was a Viking, the Trollmanator, of course, the Terminator one. Trollclops, who was a Cyclops. You, got a, you had a ninja, a pirate, a football player. In Series 2 that came out in 1992 as well, you got Super Troll, who was a Superman spoof, and Roadhog Troll, which was a Mad Max spoof. You even got a punk rocker and a Frankenstein monster. So you could purchase and collect them all. The original battle trolls, you know, trolls for boys. They weren't the coolest things, but you could buy them. This is the type of stuff that your grandmother would get you for your birthday. And she has no clue what you're into. You just get this like random knockoff toy. This is what you got. You got battle trolls. Or a check for $3. (laughs) I was going to say Axe Body Spray. (laughs) Not invented. I know. So that's what I got. The USA Dream Team starting lineup figures and battle trolls. Off to you, Dave Schultz. Wow, you guys really brought some good stuff this this time around because (laughs) I'm... No, I, I swear to God, I do something I, I, I never like doing, and that's looking online at these things while we're talking about them. And I'm currently looking at the Battle Trolls right now, and they have one called the Trollmanator. Yeah. So 
knockoff city over here and funny enough you can still get them on ebay for basically what you would have paid for them in 1992 so uh the collector value isn't very high so if you're interested in them go buy them all i guess it's not going to cost very much uh the dream team box set mark you brought up you really couldn't play with it but again as an adult collector we like to keep everything in the box we don't like to break the seal and let those things get any air. They're going to lose value. <laughs> Still, it was a cool, cool set. All those starting lineup figures. I mean, we didn't have McFarlane's back then, you know, which right. are basically the gold standard now as far as sport figures go. That's all you had. These were not articulated. Uh, as Man Crush brought up, their feet are attached to a disc. But still, cool to have. And, and, and you know, it was, a, it was a first. Now, off to 84, I, I just had to Google the... Battle Avenger Cruiser too. Can't find those on eBay apparently. No, I could not find that. I just sent you the pictures if you couldn't find it. No, I did. I there. found oh, one. Oh, okay. And it's on a independent website, broken for sale for eight ninety nine. Uh, of course, busted. But what impressed me was that cord looks a lot longer than what we assumed it would be. So you did actually have a little room to play with there. Not a ton, but still more than I thought. Uh, I like the fact that being a not licensed to He-Man, how it was specifically designed for He-Man, kind of like giving that big fuck you to um, <laughs> to Mattel. Mattel yeah, for sure. like, hey, you know what? We can't have He-Man. We're going to create its accessories. And then Impossible Missions. <laughs> Back in 84, that's like, now we all share the memes, right? Oh, look at these knockoff toys in Taiwan or China or something. America's like, hold my beer. We were doing this back in the 80s, baby. So I never played it. I had never heard about it until you just mentioned it. And this, yeah, this is a mainstream game, too, that's straight fucking bootleg. Yeah, that's uh, these are really cool products, guys. I like these a lot. It's, this is a tough choice for me. This is really a tough, tough call. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, where's my copy of Major League? I might have to flip that again and choose the shirtless Wesley Snipes. But you know what? Uh, I really, I think, and this is just a personal thing, okay? I'm not relying it on facts or price points or anything like that. But for some reason, those battle trolls called out to me, man. I'm, I'm tempted to go on eBay <laughs> right now and buy a couple of those little sons of bitches because, again, they're so affordable and they'd be a fun little thing to put on my shelf next to my toys in my boxes. So, you know what, Mark? You win, baby. Oh, wow. Battle trolls. They did it for you. All right. So for our next category, uh, you know what? Let's do some television. Some B-action television. This was actually the easiest category for me to find because as soon as I thought of B-action, these two shows popped into my brain, and I'm like, oh, man, what year did they come out? They both came out in 1992. So for my first one, I'm going to give you the stories of Duncan McLeod. He is an immortal, but he must live in modern society, concealing his true nature while fighting other immortals in the TV show Highlander. Yes. <laughs> Straight to USA. That's right. And it debuted on USA October 6, 1992. Wow. What a show this was. It ran for six seasons. I've never seen any of it, but everybody loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, if it was on for six years. Did you ever notice that USA kept shows way after they should? Oh, yeah. And they had, like, the cheesiest shows, too. And Highlander was probably one of the, I don't know if B-iest is a word here, <laughs> but it's like the most B 
type of show that they had. I think all USA shows are B shows. <laughs> yeah. Except for like Up All Night, which is meant to be a B show, was the pinnacle of their shows. Wait, I didn't catch that. What show was it? Oh, Up All Night. I'm sorry. I didn't say it correctly. <laughs> USA is Up All Night. Still trying to get Ronda Shear on. Still bouncing the messages back and forth. So if you guys are on social media, tag Rhonda Shear and ask her when she's coming on Dueling Decades to be a judge. All right. So, yeah, Highlander the series. I'm sure everybody's familiar with this as we've seen it a bunch of times in reruns. You know, Christopher Lambert originally was asked to be part of it, but he wanted $50,000 just to appear in the pilot. But, yeah, check out Highlander the series. If you're a fan in the original movies... You know, maybe you'll like this one. I I don't know. It really doesn't hold up to the movies. I do not know one person that ever watched Highlander. Oh, I I know a lot of people who talk about watching Highlander. I know a guy who did, and his main dietary substance or what he lived off of was Pringles. So that goes to show you what kind of people are watching it. Mark, do you know how many episodes it ran for? Because a lot of those USA shows, like you said, six seasons is a lot. But even then, one season for them would be like 20, 30 episodes. They really jammed them, you know, full. So like Swamp Thing, for example. Swamp Thing, I think, ran on USA for three seasons or four seasons maybe. But, I mean, there's something like 76 episodes. It's How many actually made it to television? All of them. It actually has 119 episodes. Wow. Yeah. You get your bang for your buck on that one. Way more than I am ever going to sit down and watch. (laughs) True. It's no Pacific Blue. (laughs) All right. Well, for my next show, this is about the most B action you can get on television in the 90s. 1992, we saw the debut of Renegade. (laughs) 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 Now, if you've never treated yourself to an episode of Renegade, you need to do so. The series stars Lorenzo Lamas as Reno Reigns, who is a police officer who was framed for a murder he didn't commit. Sounds like every 80s and 90s TV show here. He then joins forces with the bounty hunter that was sent to track him down, but he saves the bounty hunter's life. So the bounty hunter's like, man, this is actually a pretty good dude. So they team up, and of course that bounty hunter was the star of the show, in my opinion, and that was Bobby's Six Killer. Yes. Yeah, way cooler than Lorenzo Lamas's character. You know what always bothered me? His bike was not that badass. Like, anytime I see a motorcycle that has, like, those skinny tires on it, yeah. it's like, dude, you're driving, like, a Kawasaki or something. Like, it doesn't look that cool. Then you got, like, one of them uh, Baja sweaters hanging over the side of it. <laughs> it's, it's like, like he stole. It's like he found, like, the most badass biker he could find and stole that guy's wife's bike. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your kid's bike? Taking it. So that's what I got. Highlander and Renegade. Can't get more B action than that. Man Crush, what do you got, man? All right, sweet. Uh, let's go to January 22nd, 1984. And here's an awesome Cold War era TV show about a supersonic stealth helicopter that has a name. Uh, the series starred Jan Michael Vincent and Ernest Bornine. And I think Ernest has come up like a couple times in the last couple months. Uh, They were flying around in missions for The Firm, and this one lasted for three seasons and 55 episodes before getting canceled and picked up for one season on (laughs) USA. Yes. 
where they completely put a different cast in for the fourth season, typical USA fashion, way before the 90s USA stuff. Uh, but you know what? When I was in elementary school, there were a bunch of people that loved this show. I remember Airwolf Lunchboxes, which is like the gold standard for doing something well. If you had a lunchbox, you're gold. But, you know, again, it didn't last too long. Could have been because uh, Jan Michael Vincent had, like, dependency issues. And we've all read that he was difficult to work with. So that could have been why. Uh, But there's some crazy shit around this show that I never really realized. In January of 85, Jan Michael Vincent's stunt double Reed Rondell was actually killed in a helicopter crash while filming the show. And what's weirder? It happened less than 10 miles away from where Vic Moreau got killed during the uh, the Twilight Zone helicopter crash. They killed him and a couple kids in uh, 1982. And then, this is even crazier, then after the show ended, they sold the helicopter, which is a Bell 222, they sold it to a German ambulance company. So it had like this, you know, like quick react helicopter. Well, on June 6, 1992, it crashed during a thunderstorm and killed all three people on board. Damn. That's some shit, man. And then, of course, like, Jan Michael Vincent died last year, and they waited, like, an entire month to even announce that he was dead. It's just some weird shit that surrounded Airwolf as a whole. I blame USA. <laughs> all right, so let's go on to my second pick, uh, September 10th, 1984. Again, I'm picking an 84, and this year we had juggernauts that hit the market. Uh, we were talking about this before the episode. So, of course, 1984, I could have picked Transformers. But for this game, I can't pick those guys. So I'm going to go with something close, something that I actually was a big fan of and something that I <laughs> dropped directly on my fucking big toe as a child, and that was Voltron, Defender of the Universe, uh, which was adapted, of course, from the Japanese Beast King Go Lion. Uh, Voltron was syndicated. It was probably on fucking USA. And it was, you know, actually, it was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. I didn't watch many cartoons, but Voltron I loved. It's basically Power Rangers in the U.S. before Power Rangers in the U.S. Because you had five pilots, each of whom controls a robotic lion. And every time they're getting their ass kicked by the bad guy, all five robots join together and they create Voltron. Which I never understood as a child because I was like, why wouldn't you just go into the fight and join together and become Voltron from the beginning and just kick the shit out of the guy? Yeah, why wouldn't you just show up as Voltron? I never fucking understood that, but they did the same thing on Power Rangers, too. Just fucking join together. You could do it. What the fuck? It's foreplay. It's so stupid. So I actually had these. I actually liked these over my GoBots as toys. Uh, They were pretty awesome. They're all connected to form Voltron. So as you can imagine, it was pretty heavy when you put all five together. And I want to say there was even made out of some kind of metal on the back, like where the colors were. So anyways, one day I picked up Voltron by the head and the four other lions started to fall. And if you know me, I'm like, I'm super meticulous about like everything I own. If that's toys (laughs) or like my cell phone or anything, I don't like scratches. I like to keep everything in perfect condition. So as this thing started to fall, I instinctively kicked my foot out to break the fall. And the entire, all four of them just fell directly on my big toe. And it like, I don't remember if it cracked my toenail in half. I remember losing my toenail 
after a couple weeks, my toe is bleeding. I'll never forget that. So thank you, Voltron, for that. Uh, Voltron hung around for 124 original episodes and actually came back in 2016 as a Netflix quote-unquote original because they put that shit on every show on Netflix now. And uh, that lasted for a couple seasons. So yeah, that's where I'm coming with. Airwolf and Voltron, Defender of the Universe. Solid. All right, let's see what Judge Dave Schultz has to say for the judgment for the television round. Now, I know we're talking about television here, but maybe you guys can help me out with this, is that uh, Voltron, which you're just talking about. When I was a kid, my mom took my Voltron toys away, and she claimed there was a recall on them due to lead paint. Oh, maybe. I don't know if that's true, if she's just punishing me or something, and that was an easy way for me not to cry about taking away my toys. Like, they're poisoning you. Give them to me. Or if there really was, in fact, a recall. But I, for some reason, here I am, 41 years old. I can remember that, you know, vividly. Well, so, did you eat? If you didn't eat the paint chips, I don't think it, it mattered, right? Oh, I was licking everything. You kidding yeah, me? Yeah, <laughs> it was fine. I mean, shit, it's probably in my bloodstream from cracking, <laughs> cracking my goddamn toe. toe. Which is disgusting, by the way. You almost lost the round for that alone. <laughs> no, one, no one wants to know you lost your toenail. That's so gross. Come on. Oh, dude, it came off. I had to get it oh. enhanced. Oh, jeez. Now you, dude, you, <laughs> stop. Stop. Uh, Airwolf, since we were talking about uh, 84 now with Voltron. Jan Michael Vincent probably did a lot of lines off of those same lunch boxes that you thought were pure gold, not wet gold, <laughs> with Kenny Rogers and uh, Brooke Shields. Or black gold. Black gold, not that either. <laughs> But maybe that's the reason why they didn't announce his death. They figured they could still get another season out of his corpse, Weekend at Bernie style. Who knows? USA was calling. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can we just prop him up a little bit, you know? Can we get him back? I think he actually lost a limb, too, like, at one point. Like, yeah, we'll just add it in post. <laughs> yeah, he, like, lost CGI. an arm or a leg or some shit. Damn. We'll have to check that out along with the lead paint and Voltron. Limbs and lead. <laughs> Now off to 1992, Highlander and Renegade. Uh, <laughs> Mark, man, these are both series that are big on the luscious locks. There's a lot of hair going on there. And I am follically challenged, so I am envious and jealous <laughs> of both these series and their stars running around with all those lion manes looking fantastic. But let me tell you, uh, Highlander... Again, I never watched an episode of that. You guys are familiar with Renegade. I remember Lorenzo Lamas, it being on, but I wasn't really into that at that point in my life, so it's not something I watch either. Airwolf, I mean, it kind of created a helicopter craze, which back in the 80s, there was a craze for everything. There was I mean, the trucker craze, for crying out loud. People wearing trucker caps. At this point, people wanted to Yeah, you had to like fly. a year or two. Yeah, you had yeah. like Blue Thunder came out. Yeah, everyone wanted to be, I want to be a helicopter pilot. I want to be this because I saw, you know, I saw this on TV or in the movies. So, oh, dude, yeah. lying to J. Michael Vince. <laughs> yeah, I could have done that. I, I might have even done that in my in my uh, adulthood. I wouldn't remember. But let me tell you, this is another one that's really close. You guys are coming out with uh, the B stuff, but it's good stuff. And, ooh, you're tearing me apart. But I am ha- going to have to go yet again with Man Crush on the TV round. Yeah, it's a toenail thing. I'm telling you. No, you know what? You know, fuck. It. I take it all back. I take it back. My congratulations. You are now the winner of this round. No, no, no. But still, toenails, man. People's feet are gross. 
You know, you ever go into a restaurant and someone's sitting across from you and they're wearing sandals? You think, what the hell's the matter with this guy? People are eating. Who goes to a restaurant with sandals on? It's disgusting. I don't want to see your feet. No, I totally agree. Yeah. That's why if you're going to wear sandals, be like me, people. Be respectful. Always wear socks with your sandals. Yeah. He's not even lying. Mark wears socks and sandals. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. He also oh. eats dinner at 4, 4 p.m. in the evening because that's the kind of guy he is. Socks <laughs> and sandals and... He's already 80 years old, for crying out loud. Oh, man. I do not I do not eat dinner at 4 p.m. That's way too early. I just woke up from my nap around that time. Oh, true. Shuffleboard does make you tired, doesn't it, Mark? <laughs> sure does. All right, Man Crush. You have control of the board. Going into the two-point rounds, we got music and movies left. Where do you want to go, man? All right, let's go movies, because I feel like we don't... Uh, nah, we do finish on music a lot, and it's usually pretty fun. So let's let's go to movies first, and then we'll finish up with music. All right, so uh, December 14th, 1984. Here's a movie that it's well ahead of its time. L- let me just tell you about all this stuff that they accurately predicted in this movie. Tablets, wireless headphones, domestic robots, drones with cameras, social media, the internet, voice-activated computers video messaging, and biometric retinal security. Damn. How are you like that shit? Uh, when discussing this film in 1984, the director said, we're doing a story that looks to me like the world is going to be in a few years. That said, the director would go on to write some epic stuff about fucking dinosaurs in the next decade. I don't know if that gives it away or not. Uh, and even though like Terminator was out in 84... That's not what this movie is. This particular movie brought in around $7 million in the box office, around $18 million in 2020. It's one of those movies that I recall way more for the aftermarket success. Uh, You either rented this one or you saw it on cable because it was literally on HBO every damn weekend. Uh, When you're thinking about celebrities, you know, there's just usually there's some physical attributes that stand out from anyone else and you always associate that attribute with that celebrity so this movie it stars arguably the two the biggest in two different categories you have arguably the best mustache in the best in the past 40 years and maybe the most famous tongue in the last 40 years do you guys know what the movie is no, I, at first I thought you were going to say like Cannonball Run 2 or something. No, I no, no, no. all over my microphone, but then you <laughs> said the tongue, and I'm like, Dom DeLuise didn't really have a good tongue. I don't remember Gene Simmons in that movie. I, I beg to differ. Dom DeLuise had a great tongue, man. Don't ask how I know that. <laughs> it, w- it was fat, not long. But this guy, it's actually his feature acting debut. He was in another movie in the 70s, but it was total shit, and I wouldn't call that a feature debut. But if you guessed it, Mark knows it, and it's Michael Crichton's Runaway. And as a kid, I actually never understood the name. I think it just went over my head. But it actually refers to the malfunctioning robots that can physically threaten people or property, and those are known as runaways. And I think as a kid watching this movie, I just never got that because I was so enamored by that mustache that Tom Selleck had in this movie. And that, of course, is the guy that I'm talking about. It's Tom Selleck, the bad guy, Gene Simmons. You got Kirstie Alley is in this movie as Gene Simmons' girlfriend. Uh, It's one of those movies that, yeah, it didn't do great in the box office, but it's a really fun movie to watch. And actually, Gene Simmons is the bad guy. 
is fantastic in this movie. And they said that Michael Crichton didn't even give him like a read. They just like had him come in and stare at Michael Crichton. And he's like, that's a guy I want. <laughs> he's like, I want you to stare me directly in the eyes. And if you watch that movie, Gene Simmons is a creepy fuck oh my in God, that movie. Yeah. yeah, he is. He doesn't even need to talk. And you're forgetting another piece of great technology that they predicted in that movie. Hex bugs nanos. Yeah. The they were all bugs. over the fucking place. Yep. <laughs> Which actually Michael Crichton said every time that those came out, he would just leave the room because he found it annoying. Like every time they had to like shoot a scene with those. Uh, but anyhow, that was uh, my first selection Runaway, And I actually didn't even realize that Michael Crichton did that. I didn't either. And I've seen that movie yeah. a bunch of times. Too bad he died in 2008. He didn't see all the shit that he predicted in 1984. It's actually around now. Uh, anyhow, let's move on. My second selection, June 1st, 1984. Here's a movie with an amazing cast, and it's all like kind of before their primes, or at least they're hitting their stride in 1984. You got Michael Pere, you got Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, William Defoe, Ed Bagley Jr., Robert Townsend. And Bill Paxton are all in this one. And I actually read that Michael Pere, he was intimidated by Rick Moranis because he used to bust Pere's balls on the set. And Pere was just not quick enough to like say anything back to him. And obviously, he couldn't backhand him, but he said he wanted to. He wanted to punch him in the face. He really didn't like Rick Moranis. And it's hard to picture Rick Moranis as a jerk-off. But it's even harder to see Rick Moranis as Diane Lane's fucking boyfriend like they had in this movie. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, like last week's episode where I had Nightbreed, this movie was set to be in a series after uh, Parade's character, Tom Cody. Much like Nightbreed, this movie didn't do fantastic in the box office. Only brought in about $8 million, which is roughly $19 million in 2020. And again, this movie, it did much better in the rental market. And that's where I ended up seeing this one. I don't know if Mark knows where I'm going. He's not in his head, but I don't know. Uh, the movie, which is described as a rock and roll fable, as Michael Perret, who's a former soldier trying to save his rock star ex-girlfriend, Diane Lane, who is smoking hot. Uh, from She gets kidnapped by a motorcycle gang that's led by William Defoe in a movie called Streets of Fire. And again, like Nightbreed, this one was actually supposed to be rated R, and they cut it all the way down to PG. And uh, they also, they named this movie actually after the Bruce Springsteen song, Streets of Fire, because they thought that track was going to be in this movie, and it wasn't. But they kept the fucking name, so there you go. Uh, it's kind of like, if you've never seen this movie before, it's kind of like Grease meets Roger Rabbit meets Cobra Light meets a bangles video it's all that mashed into one but that's uh that's what i'm bringing for this one we got streets of fire and runaway all right so let's take a look at what i have for movies so this first film came out august 21st 1992 uh when student jake lowe witnesses a killing he finds himself caught between two feuding drug lords Betrayed and set up by federal agents, the only person he can trust is Ryan, a Chicago cop who reminds Jake of his deceased father. I'm sure Man Crush knows where I'm going with this one. He knows this movie. Yep, Brandon Lee, Powers Booth, (laughs) 
rapid fire. Absolutely. I know we posted this movie up on our Facebook page not too long ago. We did like a six pick or five pick of all of Brandon Lee's movies. This was right up there with The Crow. You know, everyone really liked Rapid Fire. It's not his best movie. It's his second best movie. But yeah, great film. Go check it out. It didn't do too great in the box office, but it did make some money. It had a $10 million budget, made about $14 million at the box office. But much like Man Crush's pick, this movie really hit its stride in the VHS rental market. Because once Brandon Lee passed in the making of The Crow a couple of years later, this movie became really popular. And I don't think many people saw it until then. But it was released in 1992. On August 21st. It is. And I don't remember if I told this story on an episode or if I told it on our Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. But the day that I rented Rapid Fire and the movie finished playing, the news story was on that he died Yeah, in the shooting of the crow. Crazy. That's just crazy. Scary, yeah, it really is. It was rewinding. I, I was watching it. You remember... Like it would get to the end, you'd stop and rewind, and your uh, your TV would always default back to channel three or four. Yep. I had mine defaulting to four, and it was like NBC News. And within like I don't know thirty seconds to a minute, as it's rewinding, that was the news story that was on. Wow. What other tapes did you pop in the VCR to see if you could kill somebody? <laughs> <laughs> don't tempt me. <laughs> I have a VCR right in front of me. All right, so for my second film, I was super excited to pick this movie because this is a movie I own on DVD. I've been watching it since it came out. Absolutely love this film. It is awesome, kind of, for a (laughs) B-movie. But it has an absolutely great cast, and there's a little bit of controversy behind it, so we'll get to that. But this movie was loosely based on one of the great action films of all time. The Treasure of the Sierra Madre came out in 1948. Just an absolute classic. Now, this movie was originally called The Looters. You guys familiar with this at all? They had to change the name, though, in 1992 because of the L.A. riots. The film got delayed for a little while, and then they renamed it to Trespass. This is Trespass with Bill Paxton, Ice-T, William Sadler, Ice Cube, Art Evans... Bruce DeYoung, it is just a fantastic movie. Yeah, two firemen in a burning building get a treasure map. They find some stolen church gold, but it's in this warehouse. And then there's these uh, rival gang members. There are horrible drug deals going on. The gang members end up meeting up with these two firemen as they're going through the whole building trying to find this treasure. And then the gang members find out, wait a minute, these white guys are looking for some treasure. So they try to find the treasure, too. The original script actually had the whole movie being set during, like, a snowstorm, which, after hearing that, that would have added a whole nother element to the movie. But it's got some really great performances by Bill Paxton and Ice-T. When director Walter Hill actually cast them for the movie, he actually let them kind of ad-lib a lot of their dialogue so it would seem more authentic to how their characters would talk. So if you've never seen Trespass, go out and check it out. Very solid movie. Can't go wrong with Trespass, man. Had an absolutely killer soundtrack, too. Ice-T and Ice Cube, 
teamed up for the title track, Trespass. Also had Sir Mix-a-Lot, The Black Sheep, and G Gangstar was on this as well. But yeah, so Trespass, that's my second offering. December 25th, 1992. And my first one was Rapid Fire, August 21st of 92. You know what? You sent me that picture of Diane Lane, and it's <laughs> fantastic. Thank you very much. And you were talking about casting, so it just made me think of this. When they casted Diane Lane for this movie, she was actually supposed to be a 28-year-old, and they wanted somebody else. I forgot who they wanted, but they couldn't get her. So somebody was like, well, why don't you do Diane Lane? Because she you know, she's going to be in The Outsiders, and she's got another movie coming out. Well, at the time, she was only 18 years old, so the director didn't want her in the movie. And then he, you know, he auditioned her and she ended up getting more scenes in the movie because he thought she was so fantastic. And, and looking at this picture that you just sent me of Diane Lane, I can see why they had Diane Lane in this movie. Anywho, over to David Schultz for the ruling. Okie dokie, Smokey. Uh, all right. Now, I, I'm, I'm thinking here. Let's talk about 1992 first. The selections that Mock made here, right? Now, we're looking at movies that weren't really top shelf or top flight films. So I'm looking at your picks. I'm like, okay, they're not bad. But I think there's some out there that might even be better that you could have chose that I think would have maybe excited me as a judge a little bit more. Like maybe uh, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Would that have qualified? That's a 92 film, right? Yeah, see, I I looked at that one, but I don't know if I'm going to consider that B action, though. It has Stallone in it and Estelle Getty, who are two huge stars, and that was big blockbuster, major wide release. So I don't know if I considered that B, so I, I kind of took a pass on that one. All as right, I'm going to stab you with another one. How about <laughs> Army, Army of Darkness? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You didn't pick Army of Darkness? I said it first I... with my Massachusetts accent. Let me say it clearly now for everybody else out there in the free world. <laughs> Army of Darkness. Yeah, see, I'm going to go more on B-Horror on that one. You know? Oh, come on. <laughs> it's, Jeez Louise. It's kind, of, it's kind of a mix. Yeah, it yeah. kind of is. B-Horror, B-Action, B-Comedy all rolled into one. Did you notice that, though, with these B-Action movies? There's always another element that's rolled into it. Like, there when it's not be. top flight, yeah, they got to roll something. They got to throw a little sci-fi throw a little drama, throw a little crime. Like, yeah. you, you can't just have action, They especially with some of these movies. They got to put a little element of everything. Yeah, like, I, I rewatched Trespass today, and as weird as it sounds, that movie kind of holds up. You know, it's the story-wise is real basic. They could remake that with any cast. It just so uh-huh. happens that they went with the topical actors that were hot at the time. You know, and then, of course, you get Ice-T and Ice-Cube in 1992. Doesn't hurt to stick them in anything. No, but if you put Estelle Getty in there, oh, baby, <laughs> now we're cooking with grace. Estelle Getty is a carjacker. <laughs> yes. They could have never put Estelle Getty in this because odd fact about Trespass, mm-hmm. no women in it whatsoever. It's all dudes. Yeah. Oh, Sausage Sausage fest. Fest. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, maybe they had the sign on their backside saying, do not trespass. This is not that kind of pate. 
Now, 84, Runaway, uh, you've given us all the clues talking about Michael Crichton. He wrote Jurassic Park. It was the debut of tablets and all this technology. And I, you said, oh, Dave, what do you think it could be? The moment you said mustache to me, the first thing that came up with was, you know, not Tom Selleck. It was Burt Reynolds. So that's why I was like, oh, don't say Cannonball Run. So I felt really dumb after I said that. But then it, it made me think. <laughs> that's why I said arguably. Ar- argue- well, I was going to say that it leads to a debate there. Who actually had the best mustache? Was it Selleck or was it Reynolds? I, we, we actually put that up on our Facebook page and uh-huh. Selleck, Selleck uh, defeated Reynolds. Oh, bullshit. Quite, quite substantially. Because you got to figure Burt Reynolds is bigger in the 70s than he is in the 80s. And our page is pretty much 80s and 90s, so that's why. Okay, so it's picked by by decade, not by actual length. Well, it's picked. It's picked by uh, the the 38,000 people that. Yeah, I understand, <laughs> but the criteria. The I I think, but the criteria. What I was going to say, the length, the thickness, the uh, you know, <laughs> the luster of the stash was not really a consideration. It was like, well, you know, that mustache wasn't rocking as much in the 80s as this one was, so we got to pick this one. Right? Yeah, see, I always go a totally different direction on that. No, don't even try Sam Elliott. Yeah, I'm a Sam oh, Elliott guy. Oh, wild card, baby. He got destroyed in that. He Like, there were a couple marks in there. He had, like, six votes, but come on. It's a landslide. Tom Selleck, bro. Yeah, but see, not only does he got the great stash, he's also the silver fox. So he's kind of a, a double threat there. But you know what? It's like how Man Crush lost all of his cred with a broken toenail. <laughs> Elliot, Sam Elliot, he just did that commercial for the Super Bowl. Oh, he yeah. Was, he was doing the dance, and I was like, oh, come on, dude. I know the money must have been fucking fantastic, but this is ridiculous. Come on. <laughs> it's on all the time now. Yeah, right, I, mean, I bet. You know, might as well milk that for all it's worth. Uh, Streets of Fire. Now, you mentioned that it was cut down to a PG film. But I was thinking, PG in 84, much like how you round up the budget to what it would be in 2020. So the PG in 84 would be NC-17 in 2020. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. I just watched this again today. It's like a PG-13. Oh, okay. Uh, I was going to say, a lot of that questionable content from the 80s would not fly in 2020 <laughs> whatsoever. Nah, nah. There's a lot. I think there was only one topless scene, and that's cut. And then they cut out a bunch of, like, probably just language and violence. For instance, spoiler, they were supposed to kill William Defoe. Willem Defoe. I always call him William. Willem. <laughs> they were supposed to kill him at the end, and instead they just beat him up. So that's, like, a big difference right there. With a name like Willem, he should have been in the Highlander series. <laughs> should uh... check out his hair. Oh, it's great. Just no stash. Boy, guys, I'm telling you, I feel like I'm stumbling all over the place here because it's really, these are tough. This is a tough one to judge. This whole show has not been easy for me whatsoever. Which, which of these four have you seen? Uh, recently, none of them. Uh, Rapid Fire, never seen it. Runaway, never seen it. I've seen Streets of Fire and I've seen Trespass. So you're both equal as far as my, my viewing pleasure went. So now it's like, well, should I vote for Diane, a hot Diane Lane or iced tea? That's that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> geez, that's, that's a toughie, right? Well, guys, you know what? I am going to have to use that as my basis of judgment. I <laughs> know oh, I can't, I don't know what to do here, guys. This is tough. 
Let's see. I, again, I was I was slight I was slighting Mark so much for his picks, but he really came with the logic on that and set me correct. Oh, guys, you know what? Let's keep this interesting. Mark, you win this round. Whoa. Wow, this one's getting close, Man Crush, as we head off to the final round, music. Now, see, and what we did for this music round, we did something a little different. We selected songs or albums that we would like to see in a B-action movie. Wow. All right, so I took a look at all the music that came out in 1992, and I wanted to select a couple of songs that I thought would be awesome as a soundtrack for an action movie. So for my first one, you know, I looked at all of them. All of these songs that came out, two stuck out to me as absolutely action-packed songs. You got to put them in any action film, TV show, anything. So for my first one, I'm going to go with released July 14th, 1992. I'm going to go with the uh, from the album Countdown to Extinction. My first song selection I always thought would be awesome in an action movie. Actually, from this album, you could go with Countdown to Extinction, Sweating Bullets, or Symphony of Destruction. So I always thought, I don't never understood how any of those songs weren't featured in like a really cheesy action film. You know, montage sequence would have been awesome. So that's my first one, Megadeth, Countdown to Extinction, Released July 14th, 1992. My second album and or song was also an album that, much like my first one, Countdown to Extinction, went two times platinum. Now, when you think of an action movie, you know, and you have a good fighting sequence, there's no song out there that makes you want to punch a motherfucker in the face more than some Pantera. So I had to go with Walk. From Pantera, off Vulgar Display of Power. Just a fantastic song. It really gets the blood pumping and would be awesome in any type of B-action movie. Maybe like as they're walking up to fight each other. Just kind of builds the tension. So those are my two selections for the music round. Vulgar Display of Power and Countdown to Extinction. Over to you, Man Crush. What do you got for the music round? All right, so when we did this... I was under the impression we were only picking a song. So I didn't pick any albums. These are two singles. Technically I did pick Technically songs you did the same the okay. albums, but Right. Okay. So I just picked songs. Uh and the first one I have is April thirteenth, nineteen eighty four. This is on my sixth birthday. We got the single release of the ultimate B action song of all time. I'm giving it that title because the song is literally plug and play track for any action movie in the 80s and beyond. The song was originally written for the 1984 Kevin Bacon classic, Footloose, but it's also been used on eight other soundtracks, including two animated movies from 2019. The song peaked at number 34 in the U.S. uh, on the Billboard Hot 100, which is actually a little surprising to me because I thought it it would be a much bigger hit than it was. Although it is this lady's second most played song on her Spotify with 146 million plays. Uh, The song was also used in the 1984 TV show Cover Up. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. I used to watch this with my mom on Lifetime because it was was on TV, Uh, but it was only on for one season. I was going to say, it sounds like something that would have been on USA. No, it was actually, (laughs) it it was a real show. It was like on a network. I think it was NBC and, or no, it was CBS maybe. And, uh. 
It was only on for one season, and that's because the star of the series, John Eric Hexum, he killed himself with a prop gun accidentally. Did he answer it? <laughs> no, he was actually he was playing around with this prop gun, and before handling it back to the uh, the special effects guy, he put it to his temple and said, "Oh well, what the hell?" Like just playing around and pulled the trigger. Well, the blank waddling ended up shattering this dude's skull, and he died a few days later. Oh, uh, man, he, yeah, he was supposed to be the star of the series. He was like a model and all this stuff. He only lasted seven episodes, and then they replaced him with Anthony Hamilton for the rest of the first season, but the rest of the cast was all fucked up, so they just kind of got rid of it after that first season. And interestingly, Anthony Hamilton ended up dying of AIDS in the 90s. So once again, a TV show with some fucked up lineage. Uh, but, uh, But this song, Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero. I mean, yeah, you can you it's plug and play. You can use that in any fucking action movie you want. Uh, definitely not as hard as Pantera Walk, but it fits in everything, especially in the 80s. Another good montage uh, song, too. Yo, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, both these. The second one, too. Uh, same month, April 27, 1984. It's another song that's it's amazingly popular, yet it did not do as well in the charts as I would have thought. Uh, the single, it only reached number 21 on the Billboard Hot 100. But it's the band's top played song on their Spotify with 144 million plays. Uh, once again, it's an angst song. It's plug and play for any action movie. It's been used in dozens of commercials, movies. Most notably, it was used two years after it came out in 1986 in Iron Eagle. You know, when Jason Gedrick is slapping that fucking cassette player on his thigh. Like he's going to be able to hear that shit in a fucking plane. With his whack ass little foam uh, <laughs> headphones that he has, never with the orange fucking that. buffers. <laughs> How the hell can you hear that over the noise? You cannot. That's such bullshit. I fly on a C one thirty for like forty five minutes, and I had this is in two thousand four, so my headphones are a lot better. I couldn't hear shit, so I uh, call bullshit. Uh, but it was also played all the way up to twenty eighteen's Ready Player One. It was in that. It's been in video games. It's been in TV shows over the years. Lead singer of this one, Dee Schneider, says that the song is the mighty anthem for anyone lashing out an authority figure and ready to put up a fight. The song I'm talking about here, We're Not Gonna Take It. And obviously the band here, Twisted Sister. So we got uh, Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It, and Bonnie Tyler holding out for a hero. Wow. Off to David Schultz. Okay, you guys came at me from two different angles with this category. Mark notably saying songs that he thought would be perfect uh, for the film, uh, albums, really. Well, Walk, you, t- you said Pantera Walk, which was right. a single. Technically, I, I selected songs, but then I mentioned mm-hmm. what albums they were from because there were so many good songs from that album that would have fit. Mm-hmm. But really, my picks were Walk and Countdown to Extinction. Right. Well, interestingly enough, Megadeth... It's not directly from the album, but it's from that era since it came out a year later. But they had a track, Angry Again, which was on the last Action Hero soundtrack. That's right. Yeah. So they were of like mind with you, my friend. They were like, let's get Megadeth up in this motherfucker right now. (laughs) Crank out the jams. Uh, Man Crush, boy, these are definitely, like you said, plug and play songs. Perfect for any action movie at any time. Drop of a hat. Uh, We're not going to take it. 
Twisted Sister, even though, I don't know, that one, I couldn't imagine, again, let's say, pick an action here, Dolph Lundgren, Lundgren or something, pointing a gun at somebody, and all of a sudden, we're not going to take it, starts playing. It's not that <laughs> badass, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to kill you. It's more teenage angst. Yeah. You know? So, I, I don't know. It's like, mom and dad caught me smoking dope. I'm going to throw a Pepsi can against my wall and just be angry about it, that whole thing. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, but that was every 80s action film. Not to defend Man Crush's picks, but fucking Iron Eagle. Oh, my God. How much angstier can you get than that? Wasn't Louis Gossett Jr. the star of that? Fucking chappy, bro. (laughs) Well, listen, I don't ever picture Louis Gossett Jr., the junior himself, ever just fucking cranking up Twisted Sister in any situation or circumstance. Well, he might have been listening to Hold Now for a Hero, though. No, this is true, and we hadn't even gotten to that. But you, that one, I think, is uh, more applicable in that sense. But still, they're both very good selections. And, Mark, those are also good selections. And a great thing about Pantera Walk, if you remember the video, when I was a kid and it came out, I used it as a free strobe light in my living room. <laughs> Did you guys do the same? You turn off your light. Ooh, walks, you know, Headbangers Ball, walks coming on. Turn off the lights. And you could mosh pit with yourself and think you were, like, dope or something, even though you were just lame <laughs> as hell. <laughs> No, that's just no. me. I, I think that <laughs> All was right. just you, Dave. <laughs> okay, you both lose this category. Game over. <laughs> How do you mosh with yourself? Congr- well, you don't. You just, you know, you. It's like Beavis and Butthead or something. You do. You some doing kind of that uh, the J dance, yeah. dance from uh, Clerks, where he's standing outside just swinging his arms around. Yeah, no, I'm doing Berserker, berserker. by myself or something. You know. But yeah, Would you I like mean, to uh... suck my duper. <laughs> berserker. <laughs> Now, that would have been a great pick, right, for an action movie? Did you say making fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to making fuck berserker? See, you guys thought I was going to sing the song this show, but you were all wrong. All wrong. So, yeah, let's try to come to a judgment here. Again, this is tough because you guys are coming from personal opinion here, right? This is your two cents on what you think would be good. And, you know, Man Crush, you do a great job of coming up with the stats, and giving us numbers and everything. But I don't know if that's really needed here because I'm going to have to do the same thing you guys were doing. What would I most want to hear in an action film, right? And basing it on that, I'm going to have to go with 92. I really think Megadeth and Pantera are perfect, and those albums from those years are perfectly suited to kick some serious motherfucking tookus. <laughs> some tookus. Some us, baby, yeah. Fucking stolen from me. Stolen. Wow. Stolen win. Only took 74 tries, but I finally pull out a victory and pull out a victory against Man Crush. Though. Well, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think the movie category was a draw, but I, I picked Mark because he didn't bring up any of his digits uh, the show or, <laughs> you know, any of the gross aspects of losing a toenail, so that kind of gave him a little bit of the edge. Well... Not to make you second guess it, but I did lose a toenail once too. Oh, you motherfucker! <laughs> no, it's all no. This is wrong, all wrong on so many levels. All right, duelers. Well, I guess we'll end this episode right here. But if you've missed an episode, you can always go back on DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on Castbox. You can subscribe to the show on Spotify or wherever podcasts are available. If you listen to this entire episode and you're here right now. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades and tell us how you judged every round. 
just shoot us a message every day. If you like our page, you're going to see a Facebook story. You can reply on the Facebook story. That message goes direct to us, or you can just go straight to the page and drop us a message, whatever you want to do. But it's a lot of fun, and we love hearing from you guys. So thank you very much. So until next time, duelers will bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Be heard.